Welcome back, Golf Underground ESPN Radio. Here once again on a Monday, Wardo and Sully back, Corona Edition Part 2. Really battling through the elements. Got a great guest on uh, on the phone today, remote again, doing our social distancing quite well. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, Mr. Chad Holmesy of Titleist, Akushnet Golf. Thank you, guys. Love being a part of it. So talk to us, Chad. What's uh, what's life been like for you the last couple weeks? I know uh, spring is really when you start hitting it hard with your accounts and your reps, but um, talk to us a little bit about what's been going on here in the in the Kansas City market and some of the other markets that you're serving. Yeah, great, great stuff. So obviously, uh, Chad Holmes, I've been with Titleist for 14 years, and uh, I have the greater Kansas City market plus the western half of the state of Missouri. Um, and so, to, to be perfectly honest, the, the last three weeks has been a, a, as unique as it possibly could be. Um, you know, knowing this market and, and where we are, uh, more of a, a snow belt type of territory, the spring kind of gets us going and gets everyone excited about golf and the Masters will be this week and, and people are just picked up and ready to roll. And uh, obviously, Corona and everything that's going on in the world has, has slowed things down from that perspective, but... Um, I will tell you the golf courses are crazy busy right now. Crazy. Everyone um, that I've that I've talked to, um, courses are open, but obviously the facilities aren't. Clubhouses, food and beverage, um, even golf cart riding at that many of them. But kind of spacing out tee times of twenty plus minutes, and and they're just crazy busy. So people are kind of using golf as an avenue to get outside. Um, use some social distancing and and enjoy being outside because the weather, all in all, has been spectacular considering the, since the beginning of the year. Um, you know, so for me, a lot of contact via phone, via email. I've done more conference calls in the last three weeks than I've done in the, the first 14 years with this company, to be perfectly honest. So I'm just kind of amping up for the season. Hopefully, once we we open uh, for good, it'll be some fun. Yeah, absolutely. Talk us through a little bit about your your career. Clearly, you're an Oklahoma Sooner backing up, but Oklahoma Sooner graduated in the early 2000s, played on the golf team there. And then um, what what was your career track like? Obviously, you've stayed in the game of golf, which is remarkable. And one thing I love about you is you just enjoy the game thoroughly and enjoy clearly the company or companies that you've worked for. So talk a little bit about why you chose to stay in the game. You know, perfectly honest, I, I love I love golf. I, I'm a I'm a golf junkie. I have a huge passion for it. And and as a young kid growing up, I played a ton of golf and and thought that professional golf would be my future. And then after a, a year or two of the University of Oklahoma and playing with my teammates, um, it took me uh, uh, no no short time at all to realize that maybe my next step would would not be professional golf, but um, I knew I wanted to be around golf. I, you know, talking with my dad and parents in Oklahoma, mom and dad, obviously good supporters of mine. And their biggest thing was do something you enjoy. Whatever you do for a living, be happy about it, enjoy it, and go have fun doing it. And and golf is the one thing that makes me happy. So I knew I wanted to be around golf. Um, what that was, I wasn't sure if I wanted to get into the club pro side of things. So I spent a couple of years um, interning. Um, in that side of it and realized that was not the right fit for me. And I spent a couple summers interning with some sports agency groups and spent some time 
thinking that the, the agent and player representative might be a good fit for me, and, and that wasn't the right call. And in 2001, um, graduated from the University of Oklahoma in the beginning of 2002 with some help from some friends. I got a job with Nike Golf, and um, the biggest kind of step for me, moving from Oklahoma to Beaverton, Oregon, and uh, first, I was there for five years. First year and a half, I focused on club pros. Uh, kind of an elite staff program, calling on some of the best golf pros through the country at some of the best facilities. And then from there, transitioned into junior, amateur, and collegiate golf. So I traveled the country um, for three and a half years, uh, going to collegiate events, going to uh, amateur events, large amateur events, um, spending time on collegiate campuses, getting to know some of those better players. So when they did turn pro, uh, hopefully Nike had an opportunity to sign some of those players coming out of college into the pro ranks and they were comfortable with our products. Um, it was great. Loved the job. But I traveled about 22 to 25 days a month with that job with Nike. Um, moved to Dallas, lived there for, for a couple of years, um, 04 to 06 until I got the job with Titleist and moved to Kansas City as a sales rep and knew I wanted to stay around golf. Um, but you know, for me, I, I thought if I could spend a little bit more time with, with family, I have four children, uh, wife, my wife and I have four kids. So uh, the road was tough from that standpoint. And I knew that if I could get to a point where I had some stability and I enjoyed youth sports and coaching and that kind of stuff, I could, could kind of take the next step. And fortunately, that gave me an opportunity in Kansas City um, back in 2006. And, and I've, I've been here ever since. And so transitioned from the tour department um, and sports marketing in the sales, where I have 130 accounts, uh, uh, predominantly golf courses, both public and private, as well as on and off course retail that, that I call on to support the Titleist products and our brand and see how we can grow. And so I've done that for 14 years and, and love it. Just huge passion for golf. I, I love the game. I love where it's at. I love where it's going. Um, and just, just so happy to be a part of it day in and day out. Talk a little bit about the jump from Nike Golf over to Titleist. Was Titleist kind of the job that you always had wanted and aspired and wanted to represent that brand? Or what did that look like uh, when you made that transition 14 years ago? Yeah, great, great question. You know, Nike was so amazing. I'm an Oklahoma kid, born and raised, traditional family, um, traditional roots. And, and I moved to Oregon, to Portland, live in Beaverton, and it was a huge huge radical jump for me in many ways in, in a great way i'd never really been outside of the oklahoma texas arkansas kansas world so for me to go to the west coast um and, and it, it was great i loved everything about it i learned so much opened my eyes to, to different kind of beliefs and ideals um and then when moved back to texas with nike which was great uh and then the move to Titleist. you know I, I tell people i've been very fortunate with, with Nike, they're an incredible marketing, make good products, um, but their branding is second to none. And I got to work within Nike at their elite sports marketing, kind of the, 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 the department that people strive to be a part of. So uh, very, very blessed from that standpoint. And then now I knew at some point I was probably going to have to transition. And I knew if I wanted to get into golf and want to stay in sales, I knew Titleist was where I wanted to be. And so for me, to having been with sports marketing and Nike and now Titleist and sales, I'm with the two best departments, in my opinion, 
of those particular companies. And it's just been, it's been truly amazing and, and a great ride for me because, um, you know, just to see the game evolve and to see what's happened with Nike Golf over the years and to see what Titleist has done over the years, it's, it's truly remarkable to see how fast things change, but at the same time, how much things stay the same. So, uh, you know, for me, def- definitely a, a great transition, uh, mo- both personally and professionally, from Nike um, to, to Titleist. Here's a great story for you about my transition. My wife and I were looking at uh, hopefully making this opportunity move, and Titleist uh, came available. And I told my wife, I was like, hey, honey, you know, she's from Kansas City. I'm from Oklahoma City. I'm like, I don't know where we're going to end up, but hopefully we can come back to this part of the country at some point. So I'm telling her, Boise, Memphis, Albuquerque. <laughs> I have no idea where we're going to go, honey, but just saddle up. We're going to do this. this is the right thing. And coincidentally, the way the chess moved kind of worked and the, the, the pieces moved, Kansas City opened up, where, which is her hometown. And so we moved here in 06, and we've been here ever since. Love it. Love it. Talk a little bit about yeah. the game of golf. And there's been a lot of talk over the last decade that, you know, it's a dying sport and talk a little bit about what you see kind of on the inside and, you know, clearly product being sold, balls, shoes, gloves, equipment, and what you're seeing kind of not only throughout the region, but kind of globally with the game of golf. Sure. Sure. So, you know, Golf, you, you hear a lot of different things about the sport and the game and, and, and the one that we love so much. Um, having worked for Titleist as long as that I have, um, you know, you're kind of on the, the front end. You know, we have our golf ball manufacturing is on the East Coast in Fairhaven, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. And our club operation is on the West Coast, which is Carlsbad, California, um, and Oceanside, where we do fitting, testing, and all of our production. And so having both sides of the country kind of covered, watching the game of golf evolve and, and to see it change, good and bad. And, and you, you look at today, you know, golf is an opportunity where people, a lot of people perceive that they can kind of battle through the social distancing and get out and enjoy it. And, and our golf courses are packed, certainly not retail related. But, um, you know, for our game and what we're seeing and what we're doing, you continue to see people get excited about it, whether it's drive, chip, and putt. Um, with youth golf or different programs that the PGA of America are including and in trying to get new, young families involved. Um, it, it's really, really cool to see and, and fun to watch and certainly fun to be a part of. Uh, no slowing down from what I see. We just, like I said, um, uncharted waters and uncharted times right now, but uh, looking forward to getting through this and, and on to the next, uh, next phase for sure. I like it. So talk a little bit about in your eyes, what needs to change in the game of golf? We talk, you know, the dr- the drivers borderline maxed out now. Balls, you know, going a country mile. What needs to change, if anything? You know, I, 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 I certainly above my pay grade to say the least. But um, I, I feel like um, the equipment is there. I think people want to have fun playing this game, and it'll be interesting to see what golf looks like in three five, seven, and 10 years and, and what transpires because things are different. Times are different. You know, I'm a, I'm a, a dad with, with a working mom, um, dual family income house. And, you know, when I was younger, it was a little bit different. You, you, it was a little bit where dad might be at the golf course a little bit longer and enjoy that experience where today, um, you know, you're battling sporting events and, and 
other things that kind of play into the family dynamic with, with dual family incomes that, that require everyone's time. And so I think the biggest thing that scares me for golf is just the time it takes to play and what can we do to create three hole, nine hole, six hole experiences for people where they can come out and enjoy it. Um, par three, you see a lot more golf courses that are creating kind of short courses where people can come out with their family and enjoy the experience. I think that is the stuff that I would love to see more of as we continue to grow. Um, as with the equipment, you know, I, I leave it up to the governing bodies with the USGA and the RNA and, and the testing that they do. Um, certainly they, they go through that process. The one thing I do know is that people do not want to hit it shorter. They certainly like to hit it farther. They don't. And so um, I, I, maybe the best players in the world could be uh, a little bit different from that. But but the people I see day in and day out, they, they are certainly not driving at 300 day in and day out and not hitting their seven iron 210 like we do see on TV at times. But, uh, you know, I just I, if we can do whatever we can to maximize the time and the efficiency so people can enjoy this game, I'm, I'm all about that. Exactly. Well, I think over the last couple of weeks after the coronavirus, there's a lot of wives out there that are now understanding that <laughs> golf takes four hours or less, not six hours or more, because there's no 19th hole, there's no range, there's no emergency bucket of balls. So anyhow, all right, I'm going to take You're it to, we're going to take it to a commercial break. But when we come back, my good, my partner here, Sully, wants to dive in and hear some good old stories from Mr. Chad Holmesy. You're on the Golf Underground ESPN Radio. This is Golf Underground on ESPN Kansas City, 94.5 FM. Here we are in the Golf Underground. Kevin Ward. Hosting the show today. Mildly depressed that it's Monday and... Normally at this time, he'd have a vodka in his hand, 3 o'clock on Masters Monday. He'd have a few buddies around, 19th hole somewhere. Probably just throwing a 68. But no, it's all changed, hasn't it, Wardo? It's all changed, but welcome back to the Golf Underground. Life is not over, my man, Wardo. It is not over. Life will go on. And by the way, we will get a Masters sooner than later. And I'm thinking sometime maybe... Is that it? Is it all set now? It's all set November night. So, hey, Chad, Brian Sullivan, nice to meet you, my friend. You as well. Appreciate the time. Yeah, yeah, thanks for coming. Hey, so, so a couple things you brought up in the first segment, and um, really cool stuff that you worked for Nike, and I think you're dead on. You talk about a, a, uh, an amazing brand, and you being able to sort of see the the marketing sales side of that, right, and 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 sort of what's the secret sauce that goes into turning this little swoosh into a freaking unbelievable um, logo that everybody wants to wants to wear, right? I, I am one of the few guys who actually played with Nike irons, and so um, you, you had some influence on me. My, my question is, why on earth did they get out of the iron business? Because a guy like me, a double-digit handicapper, who actually... Um, became a Nike Iron fan when he uh, had his club stolen when there was a wedding at our country club. They took my irons. And so the rental clubs were all Nike. So you know what I did? I ponied up. I hit him. I, I think I shot the best round I did that year. And so I used rental Nike clubs for two years. Was I wrong in doing that? 
you're not wrong in doing that. No, no. The product was really, really good. Um, there, there was no negatives there. I think the development team out of Fort Worth and the oven uh, did a great job. But certainly you made the comments that, that you were one of few that played the Nike iron. <laughs> and uh, I think that was the uh, the biggest kind of telltale sign for, for Nike and Phil Knight that um, the product didn't reflect the sales side of things. And I think they felt like it was best to kind of uh, go a different direction. Did, did they ever um, figure could, out why, though? I mean, what, I mean, if the tech certainly they had the R and D money to create a kick-ass product, right? And and we yes, know no that doubt. yeah. So so they're good at creating stuff, and they're also great at marketing stuff. Where do they think they blew it? You know, I I don't. I mean, it's a great question for them. I I left in '06. We were they were still cranking at the time. Um, so golf was still part of the, the piece there for another time six more years uh, after the time that I left. But but I will tell you, the product that they made for their tour players, and again, that's the department I was a part of, in particular, best players in the world. Um, those products that were developed for those guys were second to none. I mean, tremendous, tremendous products that uh, handmade by guys in an unbelievable facility with unbelievable amount of resources. And um, so testament to that group. But, but I do think there's, as you know, with every business, there's a dollars and cents to everything. How much do we spend versus how much we make? And I assume for them, it was uh, we were spending more than we're making. And uh, let's let's pull the pull, pull the pull the plug and go a different direction. But uh, and, I can and, speak to the product. It was it was really good. Really and, and was your job so? So you were a sales guy for the Nike, right? No, I was on the tour side. So oh, I was in the oh, tour okay. Department. So yeah. my job was to find the best players playing our product potentially. And so when they signed with us. Um, here, here's a great story for you. A great story. Um, so one of my was jobs obviously was to try to scout and find talent. And uh, one guy that we were we were recruiting at the time was Anthony Kim. And so keep in mind this is 2003, 2004, 2005 into into that kind of timeline. And so my boss calls me, and and Anthony's an OU guy. He's a Sooner guy, as am I. So I'm um, I have nothing negative to say about Anthony. He was always great to me. Um, and so my boss said, Hey, what are your thoughts? I said, you know, I, I, am a little concerned about off the course, but on the course, the guy is unbelievable. I mean, just an unbelievable player. So Anthony and his agent, myself and my boss, the four of us went to play colonial one day. And this is you know, 15 years ago, whatever it may be. And nice. the four of us go play at colonial on a nice day, casual afternoon. Anthony shoots the easiest. 64 that I've ever seen. And my boss and I looked at each other during the round like, you can't not find this guy. I mean, it's just a freak show how much talent he is. If he can just kind of keep it the fairway and keep it in front of him and keep the off the course stuff away, he's got just crazy amount of talent with unbelievable upside. And so obviously we signed him and he wins three times and, and is cruising with great Ryder Cup stuff and present Cup experiences. Um, Certainly not playing anymore, but but things like that. That was my job was to find that guy and then hopefully turn him into a Nike guy. That's cool. That's that's a fun job. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, it was awesome. I mean, I was traveling like crazy, going to the best places in the world, uh, seeing the best best players in the world at that you know 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, even younger with some junior golf. So it was a super super fun job. So so what percentage? I was going to ask you this, but it's good timing. What percentage or 
How often do you run across somebody that's even remotely close to that in terms of you see all these juniors and junior golf and, you know, some, some local talent. Are you, how often are you seeing that? Uh, a talent like Anthony Kim? Well, just, I mean, you see, you see all these parents, right? And they want to invest right, right. thousands and thousands of dollars into their kid and their kid's bag. I sure. mean, are they all just living a pipe dream? I wouldn't say they're living a pipe dream because, I mean, maybe when it comes to being a top 10 player in the world, potentially, but there's so many great places to play at the next level, whether it's high school golf or collegiate golf. You, you know, we, we get so caught up, and, and we talk about it, whether it's Division One, University of Kansas, University of Oklahoma, or Arizona, or whatever the school may be, but there's so many great places to play Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three golf. No matter what level you may be, at a, at a, at a better player, single-digit, low single-digit handicap kind of ability. Um, so for me, it's, it's more when I see a student or I see a player, um, I certainly look at them with that, uh, that perception of how good do I think that they can be, but also on that same note, how good can they be? Um, sometimes, and I see it so often, sometimes I feel like the parent gets in the way of the kid and their success. Um, and that, that's, I feel bad for the, the kid and certainly the parent at the same time. Um, but I, I just, having seen it and lived it as close as I was, whether it's Anthony Kim or whether it's Michelle Wee or whoever it may be, you can see a direct correlation to the kid and the parent and where they're going to end up depending upon the talent level. Um, so I, fortunately for me, it's a different mode uh, that I'm in today. But uh, it's always fun to see whether it's Wardo's good players or whoever it may be or, or some of the Rob Shipmans or Skip Maywald. You see some of these local teachers and some of their talent. It's fun to see where they start and where they end up. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Hey, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk um, uh, equipment. I know you dabbled in it in the first segment a little bit with Wardo. But I would say some of the interviews Wardo, Wardo and I had certainly early on, I would say this time last year, we would ask uh, a little bit about ball technology. And I would say a yeah. consistent message that we would hear from the guys on tour is that the average or below average golfer probably doesn't need to be hitting a, um, a Pro V1. Are they wrong in that? Well, obviously, I, I work for Titleist. <laughs> right. And Fortunately, we are the number one ball in golf. Mm -hmm. And so it, I, I need to preface it with that. Um, you know, we have different golf balls in our line, and there's different reasons for each of them being, certainly. Um, if you're looking for total performance and you want the best of the best, that is what the Pro V1 and Pro V1X franchise offer to each people, to each person. That being said, there are reasons for tour soft and there are reasons for velocity and there are reasons for true field. So we offer different products through the line, depending on sometimes, you know, even if the performance is the best, some people aren't comfortable at forty seven ninety nine. Sure. So for that particular person, we offer different products through the line. You know, maybe it's a preference that they prefer, whether it's matte finish or they like double digit play numbers. But I would tell you if someone wants to play their very best golf, and they want it to perform at the highest level, in my opinion, Pro V1 and Pro V1X would be the best fit for them. Got it. And so, but, 
it, 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 right. So, so the harder golf ball, certainly the, yeah. you know, the obvious would be around the greens. It's not, not going to be as effective, but will a harder golf ball for a 15 handicap, um, would it go as far as a pro V one pro V one X off the tee? It will. So it will, we, we designed them yet. So you'll find with our golf balls, there's only two to five yards difference between all the products. Obviously as the speed increases, the distance between each could increase, but not more than seven to 10 yards. So they're all designed to go far because as I said, in that first segment, no one wants to hit it short. Yeah. Everyone wants to hit it far. Yeah. But what you do sacrifice, like you said, is that short game and around the green that, that a firmer, Sterling, Fusiblin that may not give what that urethane offers the same feel, spin, and response. Right, right. It, well, and it, I mean, I, I think certainly Wardo and I, if you play at good clubs, most everyone's playing a Pro V, right? And, um, we, and you know what? Good for you that a lot of hackers are dropping those pro V ones in ponds and in in the woods. I mean, I have not, I got to tell you, I don't really have to go buy golf balls. I just have to, usually my, I would say every three holes, mine's in the woods. I come out with three or four extra pro V's. I mean, it's, we we call that, we call that product feeding is what we call that. We like, we like it. We like it. I'm telling you. And I was telling Ward, Ward, the first thing he said when we came into the studio today, he said, Hey, did you play yesterday? I said, yeah. How'd you do? I said, well, as crappy as I did last week, right? And I'm thinking, holy crap. First of all, a few things. Yes, I was losing golf balls yesterday. I hate it, right? I'm the cheapest bastard you've ever met. Um, And the second thing I'm thinking, maybe I'm not using the right golf ball, meaning it was cold, it was wet, it didn't seem to be going very far. And of course, I'm looking for every solution, right? And so you as the Titleist guy aren't only a salesperson, it's sometimes you have to be a psychologist, right? Of course, isn't that what a great salesperson is? It's trying to figure out what, (laughs) what will make that person feel like they now have an advantage. And, and I, I often wonder that, geez, if I drop down to a, you know, maybe, maybe not as high quality of ball, isn't it funny how, first of all, perception-wise, you're looked at as a cheapskate? Like, what the hell is this? Is this a DT solo for crying out loud, right? You can't do right. this. Can you still right. be cool with a cheaper, harder golf ball is my question for you, Chad. I, I think it's really tough day in and day out. I think you can do it, especially if you perform. Like, I will tell you, you know, the guy that comes in with the bucket hat or the or the crew socks, crew link socks or whatever it may be, they may laugh at him at the beginning. But if he beats you, the laughing seems to stop pretty quickly. And so what I would tell someone, if they're comfortable with tour soft or velocity or true feel, if they're comfortable with that product, wear it and wear it proudly. Just like the guy who likes to wear, you know, knickers or plus fours or the guy that likes to wear the bucket hat or the straw hat. You know, if it's their deal, more power tools. <laughs> I love it. Well, one thing, two things, actually. The same round, actually, I tried the new left dash balls that you supplied me with, uh, which I've been I've been trying this left dot, and I've been going round and round with Woodland on how much I love this ball, and now he says he's not playing it. No one else is playing it. So I went out and tried the left dash the other day, uh, one of the new Titleist balls that I think might be coming available this fall, and... It was fantastic. It didn't spin. I was worried that it wouldn't have the spin around the greens, uh, but it had. It was really performed well there, and then it also performed well off the driver. It was a windy day, 
Um, so, so thanks for that. Check that out if you're listening. Also, I, t- I think I converted a, a vice golf ball player into a Titleist ball player that day. I'm going to bring him some. Uh, Way to go. Way to I'm, go. <laughs> I'm going to bring him a couple of those, uh, those sleeves you gave me, sample sleeves. Uh, well, we, we joke that it's kind of one. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great game, but it's one player at a time. It really is. And, and converting one uh, will turn into to, to the next, which is, which is awesome. But uh, Left Ash is a, is a product that we offer. It's custom for tour type of product that we're now offering at a retail level. And it's a, it's a lower spin, kind of mid to high launch product. And it's got a really, really good feel and a ton of really good characteristics. So, yeah, I've uh, got a few staff guys that have liked it. I knew it would be a good fit for you, Wardo, just with your swing speed, ball speed, and kind of what you're looking for from a window where you want that ball to fly in and out of and uh, thought it might uh, be successful for someone like you. Well, I, I did try, Wardo, um, Chad. I tried the vice ball two weeks ago. And yep. um, now I got to tell you, it surprised me because typically the grooves in my irons are caked with mud. And so I don't get a lot of spin on the ball, but I will tell you, um, I hit this, I hit a seven iron with a vice ball. And it reminded me of the mid 80s when I would use a balata ball. Half the ball was stuck in my grooves. I think it was, I think that they put frosting on it, right? So <laughs> why would this happen? I think I tore the ball apart. And I didn't think since the old softball days that that, that could happen. Could people actually cut up a ball like that? Well, they can, they can. I don't. We don't see too much of it with 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 our product, um, but but you do see some of it out there. I um, <laughs> we we always we always joke inside the house. You're either you're either playing a Titleist or you're not. So well, why not just keep the kind of the thing going here? So exactly, um, exactly. Well, and, and so, so I threw out the vice, and uh, uh, by the way, I have enough vices when I'm golfing. It's usually um, well, now it would be white claw and maybe a little. Um, Deep Eddie Vodka. Who needs more vices than that? All right, I'll well, tell you what. I think I, the next time I play, I want to play with you. I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, it's not a very serious round. <laughs> I've got to get Wardo in a whole different state when he plays with me. <laughs> All, right. All right. Hey, listen, we're going to take one more short commercial break. Would you, would you stay with us just uh, for, for one more segment? You got it. Awesome. All right. Hey, come on back. It is Masters Week. Get your head right. Don't worry about this. Don't be depressed. The world will come back again. And you know what? Like our boy Chad said, um, the golf courses are open. I've golfed more in the past two weeks than I have in my entire life. And so you should, too. So come on back. You're on Golf Underground, ESPN Radio. This is Golf Underground on ESPN Kansas City, 94.5 FM. Welcome back. Golf Underground ESPN Radio. It is Masters Week here in the heartland. And, um, and, and Wardo, it's, um, this is probably my favorite week of the year. It really is. And you know why? It, it, you notice how if you look at in your backyard, you know, the, tr- the, the trees are coming out. And it's, it's always this week where it goes from winter right to spring, in my opinion. And, um, and so I'm mildly depressed. And, um, but you're helping me through this. And Chad, you are too. Thank you. You got it, Sully. Okay. All right. Good. Good. All right. So, so, uh, all right. What, what, what for, for you, a Titleist guy, a guy who lives in the golf business, 
What is it like, if any different, than the regular guy like Wardo and I? Is it, 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 I imagine Tideless, this is like Christmas morning, right? When Monday of Masters Week comes along. It, or may, am I overselling this? You're not overselling it at all. I mean, this is the week. It, it's certainly disappointing that we're not playing this week. And, and the azaleas are blooming. and everyone is, And the weather's been awesome for the most part through the country. Uh, so you, you are not wrong. It, it's great to be the Titleist guy and certainly great to be this guy the week of the Masters, um, proudly wearing the gear and supporting kind of that brand because it, it does, it's symbolic of the kickoff of the season for us in this market. And uh, um, we're just going to have to wait till next November to kick it off. I, I don't know what to tell you other than it's going to be here before we know it is all I can say. You want to know my theory on this November 9th date? I think this is when the SEC goes they revert back to a couple powder puff games before they get into bowl season. So I think that's why they chose November 9th. That's not, that's not a very, right. it's not a very good theory, out. but I was just trying to figure out, you knew it was coming in, uh, in, uh, October or November. So, uh, but not, not fun to compete with football, but again, I think this will be a different one just because of, uh, the one-off nature of the beast. Okay. So you've got a little tiger wood story for us. Let's, let's hear it. So here's a great Tiger Woods story. I'm, I'm on the job at Nike. literally been there for three days. Not very long. This is um, late April uh, when I officially began uh, 2002. And one of my first jobs is they hand me this pair of shoes and say, change the spikes in it. And so at this time, guys on tour, even today, are still wearing kind of metal spikes. So I'm changing these spikes, not thinking anything of it, just kind of doing my deal. And so... At the end, I'm like, hey, where do you have me box these up and ship them? And obviously gave me the address and, and shipped them off and come to find out they were Tiger Woods shoes that I'm changing. He won more and won the U.S. Open. Um, with, and it wasn't that year. I want to say it was – anyway, long story short, I call home. Like, how was your day today? And I said, ah, I changed the fight for Tiger Woods. And my parents are like, this is the greatest thing in the world. You would have thought that I changed the world by changing spikes. And so it's so funny as you kind of, you talked about being the Titleist guy, people's perception, whether it's Tiger Woods or whether whoever it may be, it's fun to just see people's reactions to those kind of things. Um, certainly I'm a, a huge Tiger Woods fan and I think he's the greatest golfer in the world if you ask me, but it's so funny to see people's responses to golf, to the players and what goes on in this game because there's just a, there's a passion and love for it. It's really, really cool. It's fun to see. No, that's awesome. I love it. All right, are you going to be passionate about this rapid fire? I don't know. We'll see how it goes. All right, here we go. We got Sheridan's Unforked, eating good, feeling good, a little rapid fire coming right at you. All right, first question. What's the most annoying question you get when you go to all these demo days? You know, I hit the ball 317 yards on a dead straight. What driver would be best for me? <laughs> Words never spoken by me. All right. Hey, what was your nickname your parents used to call you? Uh, Chuck. The most embarrassing thing that's happened to you on the golf course? Shoot. And yes, I have pooped. I, I pooped my pants at Lock Lloyd, so that was embarrassing. No, I would say shooting 92 in a collegiate event was, was, was a tough one. God, that's not a bad round. That would have won you 30 bucks yesterday, Lock Lloyd. <laughs> All right, fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. Taylor Swift is. 
attractive. Fill in the blank. Brian Sullivan is a crackout. <laughs> okay, you've got the your house is on fire. You can only grab one Titleist item. What are you going to grab? Scotty Cameron Napa original putter blade. Nice. Is that one your gamer? It was. It's not anymore just because it's got such a sentimental value to me. It's just, it's a great product. I'm a blade guy. I was always an 8802 guy, uh, but I've transitioned into the kind of the Newport family with the, the putter world. But uh, I love this blade putter. It would be the first thing I would take out of this entire house. I love it. Okay, Sully and I were arguing over, under, on boxes. I said you have over 100 dozen golf balls in your garage. True or false? Over. Over. Next question. What time should I be over? The house. Whatever you want, buddy. The the garage would be open this time of year, and I'm going to be here, as everyone else in my family will be as well. But uh, there are so many golf balls in this house. They're yours. Oh, it's fantastic. I'll be the short, dumpy guy with the N95 mask, uh, just kind of scurrying <laughs> up to the door. I'll ring it, and then, right? And so if the ring, if your ring doorbell rings off, that's me, and I'll just be waiting outside the garage. Is that okay? I'll know when you're wearing your vice hat. If you have a vice cap, I'll know it's you. I'll have my vice cap and my N95 mask. That's <laughs> perfect. That's perfect. All right. Hey, who, um, a serious question here, though. Um, who has it easier, men or women? In life? Yep. No question men have it easier. Oh, God. Such a, did, is your wife listening right now? If she is, because she's downstairs with my four kids, making sure they don't kill each other. So I'm, I'm <laughs> you're, hoping You're so. exactly right. So <laughs> way to back that answer up. All right. Who is easier, <laughs> men or women? <laughs> no question men are easier. You know that, Sully. Okay, final question. You've got three majors coming at you this year. Give me three major champions. You don't even have to tell me who's going to win which tournament, and we'll let you go. I'm going to say Tiger Woods is going to win one of them. I'm going to say Brooks Kepka is going to win another one. And I will say my dark horse for the year is going to be Kevin Kisner is going to win a third one. Ooh, I like that. I like that play a lot. You know, one year ago, last week, he won that good old Dell match play where we were walking with good old Jerry. So, all right, let's I, I feel like I feel like I've been watching that on the Golf Channel. I think it's been on a fair amount. That's why he's fresh in my mind. Very true. God, do you believe Wardo? That, that was one year ago. Yeah, we went down to the Dell match play, Chad, last year. Had an amazing time. And so that was the That's last awesome. real taste job. of PGA Tour golf that Wardo had gotten. But you know what? Hey, li- again, life's not over. Chad's still kicking out golf balls. Wardo's still teaching people how to swing like a champ. And, and I'm still drinking cocktails. And so um, we all have hope. Isn't that true? Chad. Love it. All right, brother. Join us again, would you? When things come back. I'd love to. Thanks so much for the time. I really appreciate it. All right, guys. Man, with Chad Titleist, buy Titleist products. You wouldn't want anything else. Why would you hit a vice? Why a pinnacle? Why any ball? Titleist, the number one ball in golf. You've been listening to the Golf Underground on ESPN Radio. <laughs>